John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Don't let him go, Shane. Don't anybody go. This is my kind of game, Joe. Except it ain't yours. Hello and welcome back to The Cinephiles, where we continue our exploration of George Stevens's Shane. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Rocha. I'm a writer, producer, and host in San Diego, California, and voiceover guy. And of course, I am the outlaw, and I love Western, so I can't wait to jump back into Shane. Uh, this movie gets more interesting and deeper the more I think about it. I was just rereading my notes on it, and I was just like... I found more stuff that I, I really want to talk about. So yeah, I'm really excited to jump back into Shane and I'm particularly excited because, you know, when we, when we recorded our first recording, we hadn't yet done an, our interview with George Stevens Jr. Mm -hmm. The interview was fantastic. You've already heard his voice speaking in our previous part and he has a lot to say about what happens next. And we also talked about some of his other accomplishments in this interview, including he is the founder of the American Film Institute. He created the Kennedy Center Honors, and he's a true bridge between the world of Hollywood and the world of Washington, D.C. And we're going to release that full interview, uh, I think, in a couple of weeks or so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is when the whole interview will come out. So, John, do you want yes. to jump right back into Wyoming and the Old West? Yeehaw, let's do it, man. So where we left off, we had just had the big 4th of July celebration where Tori came back and described the Jack Palance character, Wilson, and we speculated that this guy might very be might very well be a very dangerous gunslinger. Yeah. And after that, we're riding home on a wagon. This is, a again, it's a process shot, so it's clearly like rear projection. <laughs> um, and we arrive at the gate of their homestead, and there's a whole bunch of guys there. Yeah. Including Riker. And Wilson. And th this is the scene of the movie. I know we referenced it already in yeah. part one, but this is the scene that I just, I don't think I remembered or for whatever reason this time around really hit me when I watched it. So there, there are two things going on. Yeah. What, the first thing is that Riker is basically offering to hire start. Like mm -hmm. rather than fighting him, he's like, why don't you come work for me? I'll yeah. pay you well. I'll pay you for your, your land. Shane can come work for me too. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that's going on. And the other thing that's going on is Shane and Wilson are checking each other out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And all of the looks are, and this is what the great filmmaking isn't doing just one thing. It's mm -hmm. doing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And all of that stuff with Shane and Wilson is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it, I think uh, when you see open range, there's a little bit of that near the end with uh, Kevin Costner. And I think, Kim Coates is the actor and they're sizing each other up a little bit when they're having that back and forth before the big shootout happens. Same thing. And so there's a vibe of that here between Alan Ladd and uh, Walter Jack Palance. <laughs> and uh, as the, it's getting a little more heated with Starrett and Riker, Starrett says, you've made things pretty hard for us, Riker and us in the right all the time. That line, us in the right <laughs> is the, is as you said, this is the key to the movie. Yeah. Right. You in the right. And then this is the speech. Look, Stark, 
When I come to this country, you weren't much older than your boy there. We had rough times. Me and other men that are mostly dead now. I got a bad shoulder yet from a Cheyenne arrowhead. We made this country. Found it and we made it. Is there? Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, Steve. What were we going to ask? Sorry. I was going to ask, is there anything that he says that isn't true? That's the thing. In his mind, no. This is 1953. We're still having these arguments in 2021 about who was here in on in this country first, who was living here first, and trying to denigrate the people who lived here first and saying they were they were spread out and they were fighting amongst each other. They didn't have any kind of connection or any kind of nation. There's all these uh, rationalizations for the things that we did to explain away the things that we did to build this country, you know, and um, that's the thing that and you're hearing that in this back and forth. And I think when I saw the Shane, when I was younger, I blew off this speech as, Oh, that's right. just him, you know, being upset. But now that it's become in essence, a political mantra for the last, in the last few years from a certain side of the political spectrum, the speech hits you a little bit harder this time around because he believes everything he's saying. He's a hundred percent, in in on this thought process and in on this point of view and why he is in the right well you know? and it's i would say it's not just that he believes it it is true what he's saying is true to he, a degree yes yeah i mean like it, it, did he come out here when there wasn't a lot of other people yeah mm-hmm. did he bring the cattle yeah did he have battles to protect himself and his cattle and his people yeah, yeah. Did a bunch of people die doing this yeah he makes his case now he's not a cut out villain Right. He's a, you really understand his side of the case. And dad always uh, had, had a sense of making these characters, not cliches, but, you know, having some depth. In general, I don't like bad guys. I like characters that are antagonists that have a motivation who might right. do bad things. Yeah. But, but purely, you know, mustache twirling bad guys are not my thing. Cattle we brought in were hazed off. Indians and rustlers don't bother you much anymore because we handled them. We made a safe range out of this. Some of us died doing it. We made it. Now, first of all, we might have questions about the morality of what they did, particularly from today's perspective and knowing what we know about the treatment of Native Americans and taking people's land and things like that. But again, from his perspective, Mm -hmm. this is what happened. Here's the big thought that I have, Mm -hmm. which is I think we aren't very good of seeing truth as additive. Yeah. We see truth as either or. Right. Either what he is saying is the truth or what someone else is saying is the truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to get into the politics of it all at all. But the, one of the arguments about critical race theory and stuff like that is <sighs> it's if people are seeing like we're going to replace this truth, the truth right. that you and I grew up on when, when right. it was just all the founding fathers were awesome. We didn't talk about slavery very much, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we, we didn't get into those details. And you're just going to throw that truth out and replace right. it with a different truth. And rather than that's what I mean, there are the things many of the things we were taught were true. Yeah. There was just a whole bunch of other truths that we weren't taught. And yeah. that's why I say make it additive. I think what this I think what Riker says is true. It is mm-hmm. one piece of the truth. We haven't heard the story of that Cheyenne family who got kicked off their land. Right. Their story's true too. Yeah. We haven't heard there's so many and it's like no, the truth is complicated. And I mm-hmm. that's why I think it's a I don't this is why this reminds me of the searchers in a way is like this is a complicated movie. Oh, yeah. Without easy answers. That's what makes it a classic. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, when he says, you weren't much older than your boy. So he's yeah. saying, like, you know, what? I was younger than I am now, and I did this for decades. And then you roll up in here and, and have a kind of entitlement, which is what a lot of people feel about the younger generations when they come in. It's like, you don't have to, you didn't have to suffer like I did, you know, and, and it makes it really powerful and he says we made this country not we made this city or this area right. or this valley or this, this country so it's a stronger statement yeah. than than just the plot of land you know and, and he worked so hard for decades probably and mm-hmm. then this is what he says he says then people moved in what uh who never had to rawhide it through the old days that's it. they fence off my range and fence me off from water some of them plow ditches, take out irrigation water. And so the creek runs dry sometimes. I've got to move my stock because of it. And you say we have no right to the range. The men that did the work and ran the risks have no rights? 
That's just wow. It's a strong statement. And again, from his perspective, yes. all true. Yes. Well, it's funny. Like if you drive up and down California on I five, you will see tons of signs that mm-hmm. say "No water, no crops," because right, water right. is a huge political issue in California. Oh yeah, and water is a zero sum game. So if you take water from one place, you 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 know you mm-hmm. give it to another. If 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 I water my lawn, I don't actually have a lawn, but if I had one and watered it, <laughs> that's water that's coming away from somebody else. Right. And so you have people whose livelihood is dependent upon water yeah and they're not getting it well that's what's happened to Riker. it's yeah. like he's spent decades building this business and now he can't run it the way because these people have shown up i think that's why he's a fantastic quote-unquote villain but really antagonist not so much villain in this movie because there's a real legitimate reason for what he's doing right when most westerns it's like i just want to keep my land and i'm going to come up with any reason to come after you this is different. This is a guy who's like, I did all this and I worked hard and I built this thing and I lost my friends and my family in this. And in, in, in the, I had Native Americans come after me for, you know, we, we created this. I experienced so much of this. And now I'm the one that has to move my stock right. because you guys have come in here. I'm the one that has to go find water someplace else because you guys have come in here. Um, and he says, I take you for a fair man start. I'm not belittling what you did, but you didn't find this country. There were trappers here at Indian traders here before you. That's the response, right? And so it's just very interesting. He says, I take you for a fair man start. So he's trying to appeal to his reason here yeah. in his point of view. Villains or antagonists don't usually do that in Western, Steve. So that's what makes him an even more interesting antagonist. And like you said earlier, like we said in part one, he didn't want to call Wilson. Right. Everything that happened here, Shane showing up has finally made him call Wilson because he's got to counter Shane. And he does try to hire Shane so he doesn't have to have this confrontation with Start and the rest of these people. He thinks maybe if he hires Shane and Wilson, then everything everything will work fine and everybody will shut up and do their thing. So it's so interesting with the kind of villain that he is in this movie. If, yeah. if, if this stuff wasn't going on, let's say there yeah. are no homesteaders and he hires these guys. Yeah, yeah. Is Riker a good guy? I think Riker's a smart guy. I don't know if he's a good guy. And I don't think you could be all the way good and survive mm. in this kind of land. Like you said, if the truth is additive, then being good or bad is also additive, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you can say, I mean, like a lot of people say, many people who are successful in business are not good people, actually. They did a lot of terrible shit to or some uh, behind the scenes stuff that wasn't great to achieve what they've achieved and the same thing here the people who came out and made the west they went through a lot of hardships and they had to make some really tough decisions and do some terrible stuff in order just to survive um and so that the, so this idea of good or bad really doesn't work in that uh, spectrum but that's why westerns are great because they're fantastical interpretations of what should be good and what should be bad in a lawless land or in a lawful land, depending on the city uh, in the West. I think this is such, just such a good metaphor for so many things. And the one that occurs yeah. to me right now is uh, coal miners. Yeah. You know, yeah. is that right now we're at a place where, you know, I believe in climate change. I think it is an existential threat to humanity mm-hmm. and we need to stop burning coal. But I also know that there are people whose families for generations, that has been their livelihood. Mm-hmm. And so someone coming along saying, we're going to shut you down. Yeah. Well, that is a threat to their livelihood, just like the homesteaders are a threat to Riker. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. while all this is happening, Jack Palance gets off his horse. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> it is so cool and so <laughs> slow. And apparently they did tons of takes and he was so bad on a horse. This is like the only take that worked. And it wasn't that they intended on having him do it super slow. It's right. just that was the one where it worked. Um, and it ends up being super cool. <laughs> I'm only getting off this thing once, Jack. <laughs> yeah. And then what's really weird is Riker gets off his horse and goes to talk to mm. Joey. Yeah. How do you feel about it, son? Wouldn't you like to go partners with me? That's weird. Yeah. Well, it, but it's also what makes him an antagonist that he would go and try to take the kids, try to take yeah. the son of the man who's refusing to work with him to try to manipulate the kid against his father. It's dirty pool. Oh, it's yeah. I think is. so, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then after lots of looks and and, jo- <laughs> and, and, and Joe shuts this whole thing down, uh, 
uh, Jack Palance slowly gets back on his horse. <laughs> and you don't want to know what this shot is? What's that? It's the reverse of the shot where he gets off. It's the same shot. Oh, how funny. He, they never had a good take of him getting on a horse. <laughs> so they just took the same shot and reversed it. <laughs> I told you, I'm only getting off this at once. <laughs> um, and Riker and Wilson, they all head out. And Joe asks Shane. What do you make of him? He's no cowpuncher. Yeah. It's the next day. Uh, we're back at the bar. Of course, there everyone's still there. Um, and basically, what they want to do is bait Star it so that Wilson can kill him. Yeah. At this moment that they're having this conversation, in rides the Swede and Tori. Why don't we just gun him and get on with it? One's run already. It won't take much to stampede the rest. The street is very muddy. And apparently, yeah. so George Stevens wanted a muddy street, and so they, you know, they wetted it down the whole night mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. get in there that day and go, and he says, it's not muddy enough. Wow. And so they literally poured water on this street for a whole 24 hours <sighs> oh, to come back the next day, and that, and it is really, really muddy. Yeah. Deep, thick mud. And uh, Jack Palance is leaning against the wall of the saloon, looking cool as can be, and he calls Tori over. Oh, man. Hey, man. And the Swede, the other guy he's with, says, don't go. Nobody's going to buffalo me. Well, and this is the thing. Mm -hmm. Not going up to the guy who's a killer does not mean you're being buffaloed. Yeah. It just means you're not fighting him. Right. <laughs> like, but that's not how he sees it. What can I do for you? And where do you think you're going? Get a whiskey? All right. And we hear thunder. And I love, too, that you hear just a bit of Dixie playing in the background. Starry? They tell me they called you a stonewall. Anything wrong with that? That's just funny. And the positioning is great because Wilson's, like, up on that deck looking yeah. down at Tori, whose feet are eight inches deep in the mud, you know, <laughs> and he's not a big guy anyway. Yes, they named a lot of that... Southern trash after old stone wall. Oh man. <laughs> this is the part of Westerns that I sometimes forget. They they usually lean towards the Confederacy. And I'm just I know. like it's kind of weird when you watch them because I'm just like, yeah, but the good ah oh, you know, just this is a weird kind of feeling about it all. But yeah, I mean Jack Balance is a pretty terrible person, yet he's you know, very, it seems like he's very much he's on the, the side Yankee, of the Yankee. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Yankee. Exactly. Well, this is, so I would love someone to do some scholarly work to trace this out because Ooh. I was thinking about the same thing. So yeah. you have birth of a nation, yes. which is the extremely racist Southern viewpoint from T.W. Griffith. That's a very important film in film right. history. Another movie that we did is the general yes. with Buster Keaton, where they flip the story so that the heroes are the confederates instead yeah. of the heroes being the yankees because buster keaton thought that would be more sympathetic but i thought hollywood was liberal well okay so first of all <laughs> that is not really that true as we know yes it, it is it is liberal ish yeah. there are liberal aspects it's well and kinda. then yeah. isn't um john wayne's character in the searchers he's on the confederate side yes. too, right yes so what is this why why did people and maybe this is just the romanticized notion of the south and maybe mm. this is lost cause ideology or whatever right but it is strange yes i'm saying that stonewall jackson was trash himself him and lee and all the rest of them ribs you too you're a low-down lying yankee prove it and we know we're about to have a quick draw we know that Tori's going to die. We know what's going to happen. But the way that it happens is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Because they draw and Wilson is so far ahead yeah. of Tori that before he even can lift his gun up, he knows he's lost and yeah. he doesn't fire. Nope. And there's a pause and then Wilson kills him. Why do you think they did it this way? Oh, what is I this saying? Well, look, if Riker is somewhat kind of understandable as an antagonist or sort of not even sympathetic, but understandable, right? You've got to have that violent or 
ruthless villain, right? You've got to have that counter to Shane, who is, he's tortured, but he's a good guy. And so you've got to have that. And so having Wilson almost savor the kill uh, turns him immediately into a villain, immediately. So that when the back and forth with him and Shane happens in a, what, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes, when that happens, you have the patterns of what you just saw yeah. with Tori repeat themselves. But this time, Shane is quicker. It, um, yeah. It does so many cool things, I think. The first thing yeah. it, it does is go, man, Wilson's really fast. Because he's not just a little bit faster than Tori. Yes, but he's also in, Tori is in mud. That's mm. going to affect your stability to move a gun out of your holster quickly. It's always That's- affected mine. <laughs> Well, let me tell you something. Mud affects a lot of things. You know, you don't you don't catch a ball or throw a ball or run in mud as quickly as you do. On, true. On, and plus, he's got the high ground. Yeah. So this is all to his advantage. Good point. When he faces Shane, they're on equal ground, on dry ground, and it's different. So here, um, Wilson purposefully is in a position here of strength and power and uses it to his advantage. And that little smile he has is what makes him the villain. He's savoring almost like a shark or yep. a, oh, sorry, don't want to say shark. I know you get offended by that, but like almost like a, uh, <laughs> How dare a- you? yeah, exactly. An apex predator savoring death. You know? Well, I think that I wouldn't get offended by that at all, by the way. Okay. I, I mean, I, I ate a steak a couple of days ago. I savored it. Of course, a shark <laughs> savors it when they, they eat something. That's what we do. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, the other yeah. thing I think it does is if they drew simultaneously and Tori didn't stop and yeah. it was in the quick draw, then it would seem like a competition. Right, but because right. there's a moment and Tori is basically lowering his gun. Yeah. It turns it into murder. Yes. It is a clear, deliberate murder. And this goes to this thing that George Stevens was thinking about is he didn't want to make this violence fun. He didn't want yeah. to make the gunshots fun. In terms of the story and what made it exceptional beyond what 17-year-old George Stevens Jr. saw in that book, is my father had come back from the war and he'd seen one movie in three years. And he comes back and and sees these westerns, and people are shooting, clutching their stomach, reloading after getting shot. You know? Yeah. And he'd seen what a forty-five did to a human, and he thought this was sort of this frivolous stuff was not that good. Dad said about the film. He said, for us in this film, a gunshot a gunshot is a holocaust. He wanted the audience to see what the firing of a single gunshot can mean. We see it more playfully early when he te- when he's teaching little Joey to shoot, and he shoots that white rock, and you find out how fast he is with the gun, Shane. But this, when Palance confronts the little Southerner, you know, and Palance had learned, he rehearsed, and you'd see him in the distance climbing on and off of his horse, <laughs> drawing putting the glove on. He really, an actor bringing something to the scene. People used to get shot and fall forward. They put a harness on him under his shirt and they had three uh, stagehands, teamsters at the other end of it with, you know, and when Palance shot him, they ripped him back into that mud with a mattress underneath the mud uh, that really, made the gunshot a holocaust. One last side buster. What? And the other brilliant thing is then they ask the Swede, who is the witness. Ain't that right, Swede? Yeah. And and it's like, well, he did pull on him. That's totally true. And so they create a narrative Mm -hmm. that this is self-defense, not murder. Right. And, and and this is and I'm, I'm again not getting political. I'm not going to go into this at all. But literally, <laughs> we just dealt with a lot of controversy about whether or not at this moment something was self defense or not. Yes. And here we see a story manipulated to make something that looks like self defense mm. not be self defense. What a surprise! Yeah. What a by a person in power. What a surprise by a person who's holding the gun and who's having the jump on that person. So what a surprise. And this actor who plays Tori is Elisha Cook Jr. I have seen him in so many 
different projects uh, throughout the years. I mean, he's shown up in classic food movies like The Big Sleep and what have you. But through the 70s, he was popping up as a guest star on a lot of things. And he was also in The Champ, the John mm. Voight movie with Rick Shorter, the one that broke me in half. My first memory of crying at a, and, uh, at a movie was The Champ. And Elijah, I remember, being was, was a part of it. And so that guy has had a very distinct face and no surprise that he worked for years and years and years on a number of projects. Cause there's just something about him. And so when I saw Shane later in life, I saw, I was like, Oh my God, wow. That's cool to see him in here at a younger age. Totally. Yeah. And I would direct everyone to the episode court martial on right. enterprise incidents. Yes. Uh, Cause he's one of my favorite star Trek supporting characters too. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's after we hear a somber version of Dixie and now it's sort of, going out to all the homesteaders mm. to show them that Tori has died. And we're back with Shane and Joe, who are doing good work. Shane, we sure enough earned our keep today. Just leave us alone. We're going to make a farm out of this place yet. And that is the moment that they see the Swede riding up with Tori's body over the horse. And we don't even really hear what they say because we already know. Yeah. And, the, and, and Tori's dog is following the horse, which, by the way, they had a lot of trouble with that dog. <laughs> Couldn't get him to do what he did, what he they wanted him to do. So that is in fact not Elijah Cook on that horse. That is the dog trainer on the horse. <laughs> this is the only way they could get the dog to come follow that horse. Um, that makes so so much sense when you watch it because that's not the same hair at all. <laughs> what are you going to do, Joe? Go to town. I'm going to see about this. You can't go alone. Mary and I'm going. She's right, Joe. Sooner or later, someone's got to go. And then we hear the other thing is now, man, are any of the homesteaders going to stay yeah. at this moment? And we cut to a wagon being rigged, and Joe rides up because one of the homesteaders, that's it. They're packing yeah. up and going. Well, I sure figured you for a better man. You've already saw what happened, haven't you? Tori's dead, ain't he? Just going to pile up your plunder and skip. Too scared to even see old Tori get a decent funeral. I don't want him killed. We're going. Martha, it ain't a question of who stays or who runs. The thing is, we gotta see Stonewall get a Christian burial. And they go, well, the funerals, the cemetery's on the way out. So I guess we can <laughs> stop by. <laughs> and we dissolve to the funeral and we hear uh, singing, which is the music we heard back at the Fourth of July party. Yeah, the shots here are just beautiful, dude. I was going to say that the the framing uh, that George Stevens does here with the camera is, and the cinematographer just is just incredible for a western, right? It it really makes what would be probably a boring situation like a uh, you know a funeral out in this terrible t land have more weight and power to it i mean this the shot of shane standing there almost like a statue with his arms behind his back and these women are talking like there's almost a regalness or a power to totally. him that is that is developing like it's developing because he knows he's going to have to go battle this guy you know so it's funny you mentioned that shot and how shane looks so kingly and <laughs> yes is so they they're set it up and and george stevens isn't happy with the composition because uh, Alan Ladd is five seven. Yes, so he's short, and so and you know this. Although I don't know how many much the people listening do. Uh, there's these things called apple boxes, yeah. and apple boxes are just <laughs> wooden boxes. There's a full apple box, which is like a foot tall, and then there's a half apple box and a quarter apple box, which is a little thin thing. And yeah. you use them all the time, and frequently a shorter actor will stand on one so they can have a better framing with a taller actor. Yeah, so. Steven says to the prop guy, or he says, can, you, can we get an apple box for, for Alan Ladd? And the guy who ran off to get the apple box, you know how sometimes you say that the out, the loud, the quiet thing loud? <laughs> yeah, loud. Yeah. The prop guy yells, hey, Harry, get me a man maker. Oh, damn. Needless to say, they didn't get that shot that day. <laughs> that was the end of shooting for the day. Yeah, sure Alan's like, Fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine you're you're the star of the movie? Yeah. You're in the center of the crew and yeah. someone yells, get me a man maker. Yeah. I just, you know, George, I'm done. See you. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, what? No. I'll see two, you tomorrow. Two, two other interesting <laughs> things about this 
uh, shoot is one of the things that always bugged George Stevens was when someone would pick up a suitcase or something that's supposed to be heavy, but there's nothing in it. And it bugs me too. I I can totally tell when it's empty. Just the whole way your body moves is different. Mm. So he put a bunch of big, heavy rocks in that coffin so that it was heavy. That's one thing. And the other thing was that damn dog is they wanted the dog to sniff at the coffin because his master's being buried. It's beautiful, right? Yeah. They had to put the dog trainers at the bottom of that grave. Of course. That's the only way they get it. And if they lower the coffin down and then they forgot about him. <laughs> and so he's yelling up from the bottom of the grave going, hey, can I can someone help me get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> but the shot is great. It's yeah, really yeah. moving of that dog. Yeah. Just touching the coffin. Yep. And sniffy. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah. And one of the things we see, by the way, is that uh, Chris, Ben Johnson's character, is there and he's watching. Yeah. And this, I think, is where they would advance that subplot with the girl, but, mm. but it ends up being cut out of the movie. Right. And we're all saying goodbye at the end of the funeral. And again, Joe is trying to convince them to stay. Who is Ruth Riker or anyone else to run us away from our own homes? He only wants to grow his beef and what we want to grow up his families. Grow them good and grow them, grow them up strong the way they was meant to be grown. What's weird to me is Joe's motivation is essentially the same as Riker's motivation. Mm. You know, right? I, this to, is my space. Yeah, I want to be able to build what I want to be able to build here. This is a great two-handed uh, speech that's happening here between Shane and Joe mm. to the, just like they were doing before, working together to build whatever oh, they're building. This is point. this is kind of a. A mirror of that, and they're doing good work here too. Nobody wants you to stay for something that means more to you than anything else. Your families, your wives and kids. They've got a right to stay here and grow up and be happy. That's up to you people to have nerve enough to not give it up. But just when they're having a great moment here, all of a sudden we see the smoke coming from one of the farmhouses. Well, and it's the guy who it's the guy who packed up. Yep. Is that because he packed up now they're burning down his house. And what Mm -hmm. is so great is that this is then the turn because they're like, we could all work together and we'll build back your place. And, you know, because because I think the biggest difference between the homesteaders and Riker, actually, there are a bunch of differences. But one of them (laughs) is that this is a community. Yeah. Riker's one guy who employs a bunch of other guys. Right. Whereas this is a community of families, and they are going to go work together to go sh- save that homestead. This has been used in positive and negative ways, right? I mean, positive ways is you build a community, everyone feels a part of it, and there's ownership to it, and you're yeah. all, you know, you're all equal in the building of it, and and there's a sense of pride. Other people use this same kind of approach to take advantage of people to have them work for free for them, to build sets or build uh, or build cults like cults building their communities. That people use this manipulation sometimes as well. Like, we can do this together. We're a community. We're doing it for the good. But in fact, it's actually not for the good. So it just, it, it just all depends. And I agree with you. This is the moment where it could have ended. Yeah. If Riker hadn't burned the, if he hadn't gotten ahead of himself and burnt the house down, he probably, in essence, has broken them. But he gets a little too greedy. And this is what ends up being his undoing. One of the great things that happens is that in classic structure, the scenes all get shorter now. Yeah, this is a classic. Te- you know, we had these long sort of expository scenes at the beginning mm-hmm. of the film, and now it's like we go back to Riker, who says, "Starts holding them together," and that's the whole scene. And then we go back to Starrett, and and he's still trying to keep them together. He says, "Hang on, that's all. That's it. Just hang on. I promise you, something's going to be done about it. But just but you, you leave that to me. I made up my mind. I'm going to have this out with Riker. You're taking on too much, Joe." by yourself if i have to kill him gene arthur doesn't like that no i love that the camera cuts to shane when he says yeah. that, even if i have to kill him and it's like shane's like what come on guy come on guy let's be real here yeah. well i think at that moment shane is also thinking maybe i have to kill him oh i think shane knows he's got to kill him or and kill wilson yes and when joe says he's gonna do it shane's like no nah, i can't let that happen man it's so funny. They're little, you know, Silverado is such an homage to classic mm. Westerns. And the, the putting out the fire is very much a Silverado thing. Yeah. But also the matchups is that Joe can't match up with Wilson. No, no, no. no. You know, it's got to be Shane. Of course. It's like Klein and uh, Dennehy, yeah. But you can't do it, Joe. Do what? Go in town to kill Riker. He'll kill you. So he's ready to be a killer at right. this moment. 
wait, Joe. Wait till things cool off. Wait that long anyway. That's right, isn't it, Shane? I can't tell Joe what's right, Marion. I think that's a great line. It is. And but there's also because I think Shane knows he's, what he's going to do. I think Shane mm. knows the whole time he's going to knock him out, whatever. But this is interesting, too, because Shane is doing a, a square knot, right? And he tells Joey, this is a yeah. false square knot, Joey. It's not going to hold. Yeah. And so he's basically telling, you know, it's, it's kind of the film is telegraphing that Joe isn't the one that's got to do this. It's got to be Shane. And now the writers show up, the message from Riker. And I think this is the brother of Riker. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your brother's responsible for the killing of my friend, Tori. My brother wouldn't kill anybody. Which is technically true. <laughs> you want to be reasonable, don't you, Starrett? I always figured on being reasonable. My brother's waiting. He'll see you at Grafton's. Who else? Not us. We're heading home. And they ride off. And what I love is during this conversation, Joey turns around and sees that Shane has been standing in the window, gun drawn. And what's... So interesting about this movie is that Joey sees Shane as like a classic hero. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He thinks this is cool. Yeah. He hasn't seen the consequences of guns in a real way. Like the uh, the kid in Unforgiven. What's his Mm -hmm. face in Unforgiven? You know, he's like, uh, oh, he's never actually really been in a gunfight. He's only killed one person, even though he claims he's killed more people than that. Yeah. That's a good point. It's so interesting how these classic Westerns just echo down, you know, Mm -hmm. through all these other films. And then another writer comes up and talks to Shane, and that is Chris. Ben Johnson, who's had a change of heart. What do you want? Starts up against a stacked deck. And the other thing we start to hear is Joey saying, bang, bang. Bang, 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 I think Shane, with that gun in the window, got him really excited. Yeah. To play, play guns. Why are you telling me? I don't know. I reckon something's come over me. I don't figure. I'm quitting Riker. I really like this moment. Oh, yeah. Very well acted moment between these two guys, for sure. And they shake hands. And there's just that, like, there's not a moment, I think, that Shane doesn't trust him. I think Shane, mm-hmm. like, this guy where they punch the crap out of each other, who's such an asshole to him, I think he trusts him in this moment. Yeah. He even shakes his hand. Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, we, we we don't know much about Shane's past, but maybe Shane has seen this before where someone, mm. you know, where the violence gets to be too much for somebody and they, you know, kind of want some kind of, I don't know, some kind of redemption moment yeah. and tell someone about what's really actually happened. Because he's in that bar when Riker try, uh, tells his brother to go in there and trick Starrett to, Star to come to the bar. Well, and I think there there is a distinction between, as Riker says, when we didn't use guns and when gun smoke is everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think the moment that Wilson killed Tori, yeah. Ben Johnson was or Chris was like, No, I, I can't go that far. That's murder. Right. I'm right. not I didn't sign up for that. I'll be an asshole and push someone around. Right. But I'm not doing that. Yeah. We're inside the house and Marion is trying to convince her husband not to go. Isn't there anything I can say that'll change things? Can't you see, honey, maybe this is a chance. Does Joe think he can win? No. He, he thinks he's going to die. Right. But he's got to make a stand because of what he symbolizes for the other homesteaders there. And he's got to make some kind of stand because he's kind of become the pseudo leader of them that he's got. He's got to do this. Like, there's no way out. So I, I don't think he's I mean, maybe he's lied to himself that he's going to win. But I think he knows deep down this is a lost cause but he's gonna go and do something here because it's noble that's correct and she's trying to convince her husband not to go risk his life or take a life right joey's yelling bang 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 so irritating bang 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 bang. it's so intense yeah you know because it's literally we're talking about life and death and Mm -hmm. this kid is playing life and death yeah yeah you know what moment it reminds me of which is totally bizarre but it reminds me of it's a wonderful life where there's all the chaos in the house and the daughter is playing yeah. poorly on the piano and, <laughs> yeah. and Jimmy Stewart just loses it. Yeah. Cause there's, bang, and that's bang, kind of what happens. And then gets it back under control and says, please dear, go outside and play. 
I think this is a fascinating conversation because she says, don't I mean anything to you, Joe? Doesn't Joey? And he says, it's because you mean so much to me that I, I've got to go. Do you think I could go on living with you and, and you thinking that I'd showed yellow? Then what about Joey? How do you think I'd ever explain that to him? What do you think about this? Oh, I think this is standard Western stuff. You know, you, you, this idea of, and you know, it can get wrapped up in this idea of toxic masculinity. And I get, it. I think there are some valid things to be said about toxic masculinity by the other, but on the other side, I also think sometimes a man's got to do what he's got to do. And in this situation, that's what's happening here. And although Marion wants him to stay and Marion's begging him to stay for him, it's about my son won't respect me if I don't do this. Like if I don't later, it's, I can't keep living under someone's boot. And he's just built this way. Other people are not. Other people are okay to live under people's boots. And they they just ignore that situation and do what's best. And God love them. But there are other people who are in tune to this idea of fighting for justice or fighting for what's right. And they put themselves in this position. Uh, and certainly Joe, is, Joe has done this. And so there's no other path that makes sense to him and how he's constructed as a human being. There's something very bizarre and contradictory about saying you would look like, how could I face you? Or how, mm. what would you think of me if I didn't do this thing that you are begging me not to do? <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? It's like, he, he's doing, I have to do the thing you don't want me to do. Mm. Otherwise you won't respect me. And because, and this is this weird, like he does have to stand up. We do have to stand up to Riker. That's not mm -hmm. a question, mm -hmm. but it's also about his ego. And it's also about, he's basically it, just like Riker has said, I need to have this land. I need to be a rancher or I'm not, that's who I am. Right. And Joe said the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, we built this home. I cannot leave it. You know, right. that is who I am. I've, I've been thinking a lot and I know I, I'm kind of slow sometimes, Marion, but I see things and I know that if, if anything happened to me, it should be took care of. Maybe took care of better than I could do it myself. What's he saying? Oh, he's just saying that everyone else will make sure she's okay, that she's built That's a strong... Oh, really? What do you think? Shane. Really? Think, yeah, 100%. I, I know I'm kind of slow sometimes, but I see things. Uh, okay. I think he is 100% saying, listen, I'm aware of the attraction between you and Shane. Really? And if I die... Hmm. That's why, well, this is what you asked me in the last episode, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, why mm -hmm. I kept coming back to this Shane Marion. It's because of this moment. Mm. And, and the moment it reminds me of is another film we did, which is Brief Encounter, which at, at the end, oh yeah, it's very clear that the husband knew that some stuff was going on yeah, and still loved his wife and supported that. This moment is like that to me, where it's like, look, I see that something's going on and you, and Shane's going to take care of you. Right. I, that's, but maybe I'm wrong and I'm curious yeah. How many people, other people kind of picked up on that? How many mm -hmm. people uh, feel that he's saying generally, as you did, which makes perfect sense, that mm -hmm. the community is going to take care of you? And how many people yeah. think he's talking about Shane? Interesting. Okay. I'd live to hear myself say that, but this now is a pretty good time to lay things bare. So I'd be glad for you to go. That's why, yeah, for me, it's about Shane. Hmm. Uh, and she's in tears. Yeah. Now, don't you go counting me out. I wouldn't have lived as long as I have already if, if I wasn't pretty tough. And now we see Shane has put his buckskin back on. Yeah, he's not man. wearing the farmer clothes anymore. It's symbolism. And he's got the revolver. The music is big. Hodge, Shane's got his gun on. He's coming. See, I do. Don't let him go, Shane. Don't anybody go. This is my kind of game, Joe. Except it ain't yours. And the thing I keep thinking of this whole scene is, why don't they both go? <laughs> well, because like you said, it's about ego. And maybe mm. even a little bit, Joe's like, well, if you go and I go, then no one's going to take care of Marion. If we use your logic. Oh, that's a good point. That's a, that, that could be a possibility as well. But I also think that Joe, he just needs to prove this to himself. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think also this thing that you said, like, if, if we go through your logic, and your logic, can, it makes sense. If we go through your logic that he's been, you know, I'm slow, but I notice things. He's got a little anger towards Shane, that there's mm. a, 
a sense of uh, a connection with him and Marion. And he even says, you might get taken care of better than I could. And I never thought I'd live my, I'd live long enough to see myself say that. And so there's a little bit of jealousy and envy between uh, for, uh, that Joe has for Shane. Um, as much as he's enjoyed working with him, as much as he's respected him, there's also a little bit of jealousy that he's not, he knows he's not as good as Shane. And that's tough for men sometimes. Well, brothers sometimes fight. Yes. You know what I mean? No, yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's what we're about to see. Right. Is they're, they're both wanting to do things for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And Marion just wants them both to stop. And I love how the fight starts because we don't see it start exactly. No. We're inside and we kind of then look out through the window and it's yeah. already going on. Um, and it's a this is, I would say, a far more brutal fight scene emotionally. The, the one in the bar is kind of fun. Yeah, this you know? is fantastic in terms yeah. of, as you said, yeah, the emotions, everything involved here. And I'll say this to you, and, I, and, and maybe no one expected this to come in this conversation, but in pro wrestling, when you've got two people who are good people and they have to fight each other, someone's got to win. But the person who loses has to give a hell of a fight so that when they lose, there's no dis- there's no disrespect from the right. fans. They don't lose any status. And that's what you're seeing here because Shane cheats to beat Joe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, and, and so Joe Starrett does not lose. The fact that he gave Shane all he could handle physically. Now, is he a better gun hand? Hell no. But physically, he gave Shane all he could handle. I hadn't thought about it, but I think I think if Shane doesn't cheat, Joe might win. Oh, Joe wins. Joe totally. Yeah. If he doesn't take the gun out and 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 like uh, strike him across the head, Joe absolutely wins. I don't think Shane would have pulled that out if he thought he was going to lose. Oh, he thought he was going to win rather. He pulled it out because he knew he was going to lose. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, this is totally off the top. Of I was just thinking about yeah. cheating. So recently. Uh, as I was roughhousing with my kid, yeah, he need me fairly substantially in the balls. Yeah, I cheated. And well, this is what I sat down. I I literally had to sit down with him and said, "Look, there's certain rules. Yeah, <laughs> no biting. Yes, no, you don't kick someone in the balls. Yeah, don't go for their eyeballs. These are out. If you're in a life or death situation." then they're not out. But right. in general, dudes don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> tell, just... tell Shannon McClung. <laughs> <laughs> that is Shannon, same. if you're listening, you know what I'm referencing. That is a very, very strange <laughs> aspect to one of the sweetest people's personalities. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> um, so one of the things that makes this fight so intense is the animals, the horses and the cows yeah. are going nuts. Yeah, you want to really know how insane. they did that? How? They dressed up a dude in a bear suit. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> so the, this guy oh. that looks like a bear just scaring the crap out of the livestock. Oh, my God. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Shane, you hit him with your gun. I hate you. Which, of course, he doesn't. Right. And I like, too, that part of what Shane's reasoning is, he says, No one can blame him for not keeping that date. This was a way to save Joe's pride. He didn't chicken out. He didn't have a choice. You were through with gunfighting. I changed my mind. Are you doing this just for me? It's a really interesting line. Are you, Marion? Joe, little Joe. Which I think is 100% true. Yeah. They shake hands. He and Mm -hmm. Marion shake hands. And she knows he's leaving forever. Yeah. Well, she says, does that mean I'm never going to see you again? He goes, never's a long time, Marion. Yeah, actually, yeah. hmm. That's a good point. Little, maybe there was a Shane sequel. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> certainly. Shane 2, the, the <laughs> Reckoning. Yeah, the Shane 2. Uh, hunting season. Uh, no, but there's, there's a. Wait, that's a good title. I like that. <laughs> but like there, you can tell, as you said, like the shaking of the hands is as close as they're ever going to come to physical contact with each other. But yeah. a handshake can be just as powerful of a physical touch as a hug or anything else if it, if the energy is there between two people so, which yeah. i think it definitely is oh, certainly yeah absolutely why did shane shane did what he had to do joey you don't hate shane i know mother shane i'm sorry he didn't hear you joey gets up and runs after shane yelling shane and I'm going like, why isn't mom stopping him? Ah, you let the kids be kids. <laughs> I guess so. Sure, run <laughs> off to a gunfight. And man, that kid and his dog sure can't keep up with a guy going pretty fast on a horse. I know, right? 
Um, I'm out of breath just just looking at it. <laughs> Shane rides into town. The kid runs in after, and there's a great, great dolly shot of him of Shane riding towards camera, and then Joey coming in towards camera yeah. and stumbling. And the music is intense. This is all shot day for night, of course, because the the film speeds weren't fast enough to really shoot at night. And in the bar, guy with a rifle goes up to the second story in preparation yep. for Shane's arrival. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes into town. Goes through those batwing doors. Yeah. Wilson, cool as can be, looks up. And Joey and the dog are watching this. They've snuck in, just like Joey was watching during the fight. Yep. I got no quarrel with you, Shane. You can walk out now and no hard feeling. Yeah, you've lived too long. Your kind of days are over. My days? What about yours, gunfighter? I love Shane's line. The difference is I know it. Yeah. And he knew it when he showed up at that farm. That's why he wanted to find a new path out. He yeah. wanted he, he wanted to try out the possibility of being a farmhand. This is the end for Shane on so many yeah. levels because after this, he probably dies in a gunfight maybe a few months later or the next gunfight or a year or two later. Well, and, and I, I think this is why, uh, you know, Joe wants to live. Mm-hmm. Shane is accepting that he might die right. in this moment. He's okay to go die, exactly. Yeah. We haven't heard from your friend here. And Wilson takes a slow drink. He stands up. He's got that glove on his hand. And I love like we pan with the dog as we go to to go to Wilson. Yeah. And it's classic gunfighter. Pe- people mm-hmm. are kind of clearing out of the way. And I love the conversation between Wilson and Shane. Yeah. I'll fight ain't with you. Fight with me, Wilson. No, it ain't Shane. It's weird what a character, because Jack Pound's got a, a Best Supporting Actor nomination for this. He has barely has any lines. Yeah, but it's all in his face. Yeah. It's all in his face. And, you know, when I watched it this time around, I I, I tried to imagine what he was thinking when, A, Shane showed up, because that wasn't what he was ex- what they were expecting. Or yeah. maybe he did. Maybe he did think, well, this guy. Maybe that's what he wanted. Yeah, and maybe that's what he wanted. So maybe he's trying to prove something to himself as well. Maybe he took this job. Wondering if this is his last job. And, you know, he's wearing the glove, which yeah. is something Robert Vaughn wears in, oh, in yeah, uh, Magnificent Seven, right? So is there an allusion to that, I wonder, because that film came in later, obviously, yeah. to this kind of fatalistic approach to life, you know? And so um, he's got that. And look, the stance he's in, everything, and the back and forth about how they've heard from about each other. There's almost a sense of pride. Like, if anyone's going to take me out, I want it to be you. you mm. know? And I love that. Um, I love how Wilson repeats Shane's name. Yeah. So you're Jack Wilson. What's that mean to you, Shane? I've heard about you. What have you heard, Shane? Shane. I've heard that you're a low-down Yankee liar. Again, it's aligning Shane with the South, which is just straight. Because there's nothing Southern about it. He doesn't have a Southern accent or anything like that. And we hear... Prove it. And Shane draws and kills Wilson. And again, he's on a wire, so he gets pulled back. And then Riker immediately draws, and Shane turns and kills Riker. Yeah. And we we know there's still a dude on the balcony with the rifle, and Shane spins his gun like a gunslinger and reholsters it. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing that uh, uh, George Stevens Jr. said on the commentary track mm. is he's he told his dad he really really didn't like this is that he didn't think Shane should spin the gun because that because Junior felt that that was everything the movie's against. Yeah. is And what George Stevens Sr. said was, this is all from the eyes of Joey. Right. Great point. That That's a Joey great is romanticizing point. this moment. Right, right. And we hear a squeak. Shane, look out! And Shane turns, ducks, and fires and kills the guy with the rifle. But he does get shot. He does get a little bit of the buckshot yep. in him. So maybe um, he doesn't even make it to the next town, bro. Maybe he just dies from the point. wounds. Yeah. I knew you could, Shane. I knew it. I knew it just as well as anything. And Joey is so excited, which as when I saw this the first time and I said, like, I really yeah. didn't get it. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, he's excited. And I didn't see that as, oh, it's it's almost tragic that Joey is so excited, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, because what happened was horrible. Right. You better run back. Can I ride home behind you? Right, not to me. Please, why not? 
I got to be going on. And then this moment, Joey asks why, and he says, Man has to be what he is, Joey. Can't break the mold. I tried it, and it didn't work for me. The note I wrote down here is, actually, it totally did. Yeah. It did work. It was working great. If Riker weren't here, it would have worked great. Well, it could still have worked if he wanted to stay, because now he's eliminated Riker and Wilson. Yeah. They, in essence, could create a new ruling uh, class of the town and be better uh, in how they ruled it and be more fair. But Shane rides off um, because he he tried it, but it's not for him as much as he wanted to. So I'm not saying that he, like you just said, like it, it, it could have worked. It worked, yeah. but it didn't 100% work for him. Well, what I yeah. think, I think this next line is really interesting because he says, Joey, there's no living with, with a killing. There's no going back from one. Right or wrong, it's a brand. A brand sticks. And the way... I always interpreted this line was it, it's how other people see me. Mm. Everyone will see me as a killer. So that's a brand that sticks. Mm-hmm. But then what I'm thinking now, maybe part of it too, is that Shane can't get past it. No, Shane can't. You know, the, 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 mm-hmm. it's not that it's PTSD exactly, but that like he's scarred yeah. by being a killer. Yeah, because he'll always resort to it. And remember at the beginning of the film, any little sound, he was pulling his gun. He was right. reaching for his gun or whatever. Yeah. And so he's he's so trained to that. That's that he's spent a lifetime training himself to be able to do that, that it would take a lifetime to untrain himself from doing that. And uh, I think he realized I tasted it, it's not for me. And even that yeah. moment you, you skipped over this moment here real quick when he says he was draw, he was fast fast on the draw there's almost a Mm. a melancholy sadness Mm. in shane when he says that because he's had to kill one of his own kind and there's almost a little bit like yeah like my days are numbered here's another one whose days were numbered now my you know i know my days are numbered and so we're disappearing and even i'm taking some of the people right or just like me out of the west you know that's a really good point in this in this last scene you know you're on the set and you know that a scene is serious and heavy and the whole set is quiet and they're all watching as shane is saying goodbye to joey and everyone took it really seriously except apparently for brandon dewild who played joey who kept cracking up (laughs) so he keeps laughing through the scene and alan ladd is getting madder and madder i'm sure and he calls over the the boy's father, who's on the set, yeah. and he says, make this kid stop or I'll beat him over the head. <laughs> and then he behaved. Yeah, right. <laughs> you see um, what he did to his, action, his dad in the film? I'll do that to him, for God's sakes. And he says, <laughs> you'll go home to your mother and your father and grow up to be strong and straight. Take care of them. Both of them. And Joey's crying, he rubs his head, and then Shane rides off. He says, I've got things for you to do! And Mother wants you! I know she does! Which, again, it's like they never hit it hard. But in Mother Wants You, I know she does. Shane is now, you know he's thinking about Marion as he yeah. rides off. Yeah. And Joey, this is the classic... we dissolve to Shane riding up the mountain to the top of the hill above the cemetery, the Tetons in the background in the iconic, one of the most iconic endings of a Western ever. Yeah. I mean, um, I, you know, the irony is that I saw pale rider before I saw Shane. Uh, Mm. and so when I saw Shane again and saw all the allusions to it, it kind of blew me away how much better it is than pale rider, even though pale rider is a good movie. But this moment carries some, even though the kid is kind of annoying for me, most of the movie, Brandon DeWall, but like this moment, he, he, is, he, is, he is annoying, right? Yeah. Annoying. But this moment is powerful and represents so much, right? It's almost like he's pining for the old West to come back. The old way of doing things, the old, like all of that, Shane, come back come back. He loves him so much, but there's more, the, the, but that time is dead. You know, we, how many of us pine for the old days? How many of us pine for a time in the past? And so it's just like it symbolizes so much to see him yelling after him. Well, and what's what's so upsetting, I think, is so mm. is that he goes to make this movie to unromanticize yeah. violence and guns. <laughs> and yet 
in the movie, and I think yeah. it's really brilliant, is that the movie yeah. ends with the kid who is rom- going to romanticize violence and guns. Yeah. You know, so he doesn't say it's not like a movie where everybody learns the lesson. Oh, guns are bad. Right. That's it's we maybe learn that lesson. But the people in the movie, mm-hmm. you know, for Joey, Shane's a hero. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So this is an expensive movie, very expensive movie for the time. It would, took a long time to shoot. Mm-hmm. Post was going on forever. Uh, apparently, Alan Pakula, who, you know, director, yeah. he's he's a young guy working at uh, Paramount at the time. And he was working as an assistant. And, and it sounded like Paramount was really, really worried they were going to lose everything on this. You know, Lad had was a star, but he wasn't a huge money-making star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so they tried to sell the movie to Howard Hughes at RKO. Yeah. And at the last minute, Hughes backed out of the deal. And Paramount, who thought they had dumped this movie, gets stuck with what ends up being one of the most successful movies of the year. And so they got really lucky that, that Howard Hughes backed out at the last minute. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, I, I feel like Howard Hughes would have to- would have cut it up to pieces. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Throwing in, throwing in Jane Russell or something. Yeah. Good. This movie was so successful. It originally was released on a mono uh, optical track, which means that's where the sound is coming. The optical track is on the side of the film. I, you mm. don't need to know how it all works. But uh, what they did, the movie was such a big hit that they actually re-released it on a three-track stereo, which was very rare at that time to put out a stereo film. Wow. Um, and the movie made $8 million in its initial U.S. run, which is a huge hit for the time. Brandon DeWilde and Jack Palance were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra won for From Here to Eternity. Yeah. yeah. George Stevens won for Director, mm-hmm. but Best Picture is From Here to Eternity. And this and Shane won for Cinematography. Yeah. Tough. Tough. Both films are really good. You could make a case for both films. You really could. I love From Here to Eternity. I know you do. Brandon DeWilde, he had a few acting roles, and then he mm. tragically died in his early 20s in a car accident. Yeah, going to see his wife who had been in the mm. hospital or something. And oh, wow. uh, apparently he had struggled with um, uh, drugs and alcohol uh, as he got older. So, so there were some suspicions that maybe it was mm. suicide or that he was high or, dr- or, on, or, or drinking. And that's what caused the accident. But it was uh, pretty brutal. It, it- so many people have asked, particularly when Jax was younger, they asked us, so you're going to, you know, cast him in movies? You're going to make him a child <laughs> actor? And Karen and I are like, no. Yeah. Are but, you kidding? Yeah. It yeah. is a brutal, brutal life for humans. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he did do some projects. He did get a name. He did do these kinds of things and whatever, but uh, unfortunately passing away at 30 years old. And it's tough. Um, so I'll give my final thoughts mm. first. I think this movie is deceptively simple. Like, mm. You could watch it and just go, oh, it's, you know, the gunslinger comes to town and fights off the bad guys and there's this kid and that's what it is. And then, and particularly if you watch the movie casually and are, you know, maybe you're playing on your phone while you watch it, that's all you get. But then if you watch it carefully and you look at all the looks and the silences and you listen to that speech of Riker that you pointed out and you go like, Mm -hmm. oh, this movie is complicated. Mm -hmm. Like this movie is a much deeper movie than we really give it credit for. Yeah, one of the great reasons, and I guess it's my turn, one of the great reasons that uh, certain Westerns transcend the genre is because they're about more than just the standard good versus evil. There is, as Steve just pointed out, there is so much within this movie for you to savor and enjoy. There are so many things for you as a viewer to have struggles with. Are you okay that Marianne and Marion and Shane are having kind of a possible affair mentally? Uh, in their minds and uh, uh, you know and joe Starr is just a good guy good solid guy doing his job do you sympathize with joe do you connect with shane instead connect with marion do you understand the struggle here what is how does joey affect you what does joey symbolize as the new generation the next generation you know we we hear the back of what between striker and star it about you know i came or riker and start rather i came here and i did this and you have reaped the rewards now the next generation is joey will there be a conversation between joey and star it and later on in life where Joey doesn't want to take care of the land. He wants to go and live in the big city. And he's and stars like, but I, but I built this right. for you and I did all this. Mm. So, so much can be explored here. And then you get to what Shane represents the old West. And as Steve pointed out in part one, so much of the great Westerns are about the end of the old West. And this is Shane represent represents the end of the old West. We're moving forward. We're progressing and I think one of the reasons people love Westerns so much is because we always see something ending 
in our lives, something progressing to its end in our lives and changing. And there's a power in that. And this shows you that there are multiple points of views. And that's what makes this such a fantastic, unconventional Western, multiple points of views within the standard good versus evil, landowner versus uh, renter of land or homesteader uh, that you usually see in the in the Westerns and uh, causes you to have more um, conversations with yourself about how you feel about the film. You, you know, you know, I just looked up because um, I was mm. curious about is that mm. so Joey, if, if this takes place in like the mid 1890s. Yeah. And Joey is what, like eight years old, eight years old, nine years old. Yeah. Something like that. So so that means in 1953, Joey was in his late 60s. Yeah. You know, living in a city, probably. Yeah. And felt yeah. super guilty you made a movie about him leaving his dad back down the homesteader. <laughs> um, so that is what we think of Shane. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you can visit us on our Facebook page, do a search for The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts and YouTube and Spotify. Reviews, we've mentioned them before. Mm. I'm mentioning them again. <laughs> Comments on YouTube, we always love them. Interaction with you on Twitter, where we are Cine underscore files or the Cinephile podcast on Instagram are awesome. Um, you can buy or stream Shane along with every other movie we've ever reviewed on cinephiles.net. And you could support the show, even suggest a film or listen to our Cinephile shorts on patreon.com slash the Cinephiles. Uh, you could find me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. And if you're into Star Trek, Enterprise Incidents is what you want to check out. John, how would people find you? You can always find me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. If you're a Twitch person, come follow me on Twitch, The Outlaw Nation, all one word on Twitch. And my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca Says, which has all kinds of stuff uh, entertainment wise, pro wrestling, sports, all of it uh, there uh, for you to enjoy and watch and listen to as well and then my other podcasts the top 10 and the geek buddies are out there for you all to enjoy and god help me possibly something new is coming on the podcast format with what? an old friend of mine that i used to work with at collider so just throwing that out there that we're right now having negotiations about that as if i have extra time but i love speaking <laughs> to this man about so many things so it may be happening so just be on the lookout for that as well, well. Well, Cinephiles fans, I know just as much as you do about this project. That is the first I ever heard about it. I'm very excited about it. As you know, I am a big John Roca fan. I subscribe to all his shows, so maybe I'll be adding another podcast to my subscription list. Oh, God. Um, and, of course, we also want to thank George Stevens Jr. for yes. joining us. Thank you. Um, the incredible, incredible person. You'll be hearing his full interview in a couple of weeks. And I also just say he has a book coming out, which is My Place in the Sun, A Life in the Golden Age of Hollywood and Washington. That Absolutely. book is coming out in the spring. And, and um, thank you to everybody who uh, helped make George Stevens Jr. happen uh, as a guest on our show. Thank you, David. Thank you to everybody. Absolutely. So that is it for this week. We will see you next time with another great film on The Cinephiles. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc